97.3 ESPN. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. All right, Sports Bash 97.3 ESPN. Going to join us on the Boardwalk Honda Hotline here. In just one second, live in Tampa with a report on Super Bowl 55. And that's ESPN Sal Palantonio, who will join us here on the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. And, of course, we're getting ready for Tampa Bay in Kansas City. You can hear the game live on 97.3 ESPN. So let's bring him in. He was uh, dapply dressed today down there in St. Petersburg, Florida. Had the nice uh, hoodie on. You're looking very dapper there, Sal Pal. Hey, thanks a lot. You know, uh, try to try to change things up once in a while, Mike Gill. You know, even at my even at the tender age of sixty four years old, I was going to say very youthful look today with the hoodie there. You were you were looking uh, very youthful with that look there. I liked it. It was a it was a good look. I, for I'm, you. Trying. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying. Sal Pal, you have covered all ten of Tom Brady's Super Bowls for the mothership, and. Uh, you say in the 10 Super Bowls you have covered of Tom Brady, you see a distinct pattern and or arc to all of his appearances. Yeah, there's a progression that he uses. So at the beginning of the week, he's very introspective. He'll talk legacy and history like he did yesterday, predicting that he could play to the age of four or five years old. And then um, today they had a walkthrough. They did uh, 45 plays at the Bucks facility. And, you know, he, he really ratchets up his preparation. And then on Wednesday, he just brings the fire and the competitiveness. There'll be a lot of trash talking. I, I've heard a lot of players say in the past that, you know, he brings a lot of trash talking to that Wednesday practice. He'll challenge players. He'll hold them accountable. He'll make sure that, you know, they understand that he takes this deadly seriously and he'll continue that. And they'll have some fast paced practices on Wednesday and Thursday. And then he goes into sort of a mental physical preparation with his trainer, Alex Guerrero, who's by his side the entire week. And then he'll go into what he calls a mindfulness mode. And I've talked a lot about this with him. He has a book called, um, the Four Agreements by a Mexican Spiritualist. I've read it and studied it. Uh, he, he turned me on to it about five years ago, and he reads it and rereads it with his children and his wife. He's very serious about it. And, you know, one of the last agreements in the book, actually the last agreement in the book is always do your best. Keep uh, those distractions out of your life that will uh, prevent you from having joy and accomplishment in your life. He takes this stuff really seriously. He preaches it to his teammates, to his coaches, anybody who will listen. And that's the progression of how he approaches the week. It's crazy because here he is at, what, 44 years old. Does he, and he acted this way when he was 25, 26, 20, you know, like when he was a younger guy. Like, you know, as you get older, you get wiser. You're saying that Tom Brady was like this when he was a young guy. You know, and it's gotten more intense. But, you know, it definitely has been a progression that I have watched happen pretty much throughout all of his Super Bowls from the very beginning. Now, obviously, early on when he started uh, his first Super Bowl against the Rams in 2002, when Belichick chose him 
over Drew Bledsoe, you know, he didn't know what he was getting into. But his ability to, you know, have that initial practice on Wednesday, and it was down in New Orleans. It was right after 9-11. I remember it well. And uh, players, that first Super Bowl against the Rams told me that Wednesday and Thursday, it was a completely different team because Bledsoe was not like that. Drew Bledsoe was never like that. Never willfully vocal like that in practice. And Brady just showed that from the very beginning. Sal, we just had Ike Taylor on from the Steelers and, you know, won two Super Bowls, played in the third. He told us a tremendous story, and he said practicing the practice week leading into the Super Bowl was like playing the AFC championship game every day. That's what the practices were like. That's how intense their practices were for Pittsburgh. Is it like that now? Like, can it be, or is it that intense? Is Tampa Bay and Kansas City, are they having these intense practices to get ready for this game? Well, I can tell you flat out, and that's a great question, Mike. That's a very interesting story that Taylor told you. I can tell you flat out that Saturday's practice at One Buck Place was at super high speed. Uh, Arians told Brady that he wanted to go at a very fast pace. And Arians told me in a text on Sunday that the speed intensity was exactly what he was looking for. So why did they do speed intensity? Well, because, you know, the Super Bowl, your body clock and your, you know, your rhythms of your body are just going so hot that, um, you know, you want to try to duplicate that during practice during the week. You know, you have that long halftime, and they also practice that. So you'll go super hot in practice for 30 minutes, and then the coach will shut it down, put you in the locker room of your facility for the extra special long halftime. Uh, and then they want to duplicate the conditions of the game as much as possible. Uh, obviously, Brady has been here many times, but it's a first for Bruce Arians. So how is that dynamic? I mean, I guess Bruce had been here as an assistant in the past, but never as the as the main guy here. So, you know, I'm interested in, in your uh, what you've kind of taken from watching their practice, how much Bruce Arians has kind of taken this all in. Right. So I'm shut down now, so I can't watch practice tomorrow. Um we have a pool reporter, Rick Stroud from the Tampa Tribune will be the pool reporter for the NFC and he'll be able to watch practice. But his pool report is, um, is vetted by the Bucks and the NFL. So, you know, we won't get all the information that we would normally have watching practice, but you know, Arians and I have been close over the years and I talked to him about Brady this year and he's echoed to me some of the stuff that, you know, he has said to others, which is that Brady is a heck of a coach hmm. on the field. He's like having a field general in charge, you know. And I got to tell you, when you look specifically at some of the things that have transpired just in the last 8 to 12 weeks of the season and the postseason, this team has evolved. How has it evolved? Well, I think Byron Leftwich has done a great job as offensive coordinator, dialing up heavy packages. You know, the Bucks have had six offensive linemen on the field more than any other team since Week 12. They've gone heavy to protect Brady. 
heavy to run the ball. In the postseason, they are now running the ball at a clip of 48%. That's up over 30. What They were at 34% during the regular season. An interesting prop bet in this game is the over-under on the number of pass attempts for Brady. And the prop bet is 39-and-a-half. In the postseason, Brady has averaged only 36 pass attempts per game. That's the number he had in the NFC Championship game, just 36. And I think it'll be under the 39-and-a-half because they're going to want to keep Mahomes off the field as much as possible. That was what they did with Breeze. That's what they did with Rodgers. I think they're going to run the ball. I think this game will be determined by the running game, by the pass protection, and by their ability to play defense against Patrick Mahomes more than it will be Tom Brady. And a very interesting storyline in this game for people in this region uh, who are kind of football geeks, Sal, is you got Andy Reid, obviously, the former Philadelphia Eagles, but Todd Bowles, which was, uh, you know, at the end there, was the defensive coordinator uh, with Andy on the interim basis. He's going to have to figure out a way to shut down Andy's offense, and Bowles is on a roll right now. And so was Andy. There's no question about it. You know, Bowles has blitzed more than any defensive coordinator in this postseason that we're in right now. He's got the highest percentage. Spagnuolo is too. It's the reason why those two teams are in. I told you, we talked about this for two straight weeks. It's a blitzathon in the postseason because the refs are not calling offensive holding. So the only way to get to the quarterback is to send extra bodies. Spagnolo and Bowles figured that out. Mike Pettin in Green Bay did not. He did it in yeah. the second half. That's why Brady threw three picks. But right in the about first that. half, he let him throw the ball. So that's why Pettin's gone. So uh, that and, you know, bad defense against Scotty Miller, but mostly because he couldn't get to Brady in the first half. And why? Because he, he blitzed him only 13% in the first half, Mike. That's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. So Bowles is blitzing, but you can't blitz Patrick Mahomes. He has the best quarterback rating against the Blitz of any quarterback this year for a number of reasons. One, Reed is very good. You just mentioned Manny Reed. Historically, he's been very good at if they do this, you do that. If they then do that, you do this. His contingency off the Blitz is among the best, I think the best ever in the last 25 years. Two, Mahomes just has so many places to go with the football. You can't double Hill or Kelsey. I mean, you can't double them both. You got to double one or the other. Yeah, you got to pick your poison for sure, hundred percent. And the other Mahomes has just a natural ability to sidestep the rush and his releases so quick. Sal, uh, before we let you roll here, and you'll be back on Friday, and of course, Johnny G, the Burger Realty team, thanks to uh, them, Sal is here for Super Bowl uh, 55 on this Tuesday. He'll be back on Friday with the last look before the big game. I do want to get your take on what happened over the weekend, because Jared Goff gets traded, but they had to throw in two first-round picks to get that done. So what is that for the Eagle fan out there who's saying, trade Wentz? That trade says what? <laughs> Michael, I want you to be in your office one day and get an email before you go on the air. And the email is a press release from the Eagles. We traded Carson Wentz to, let's see, let's pick a team, 
to the Carolina Panthers. And in order for them to take to Carson Wentz, we threw in two first-round picks. We got Teddy Bridgewater back in, in, in exchange. You would go nuts. <laughs> Howie Roseman would be laughed off the stage. He'd be vilified. I mean, Rams had to sweeten the deal to get the Lions to swallow Goff's contract, similar to Wentz's contract, with two first-rounders. Eagles are never going to do that. That can happen in L.A. because you got the Lakers and the Dodgers and the Rams but are, are not that big of a deal out there. But in Philadelphia, the Eagles are a way of life that would never pass muster. So am I right about that or what? Come on. You're, no, absolutely. We were talking about yesterday. Would you throw the two picks, first-round picks in? You know, because you mentioned Carolina. Apparently they offered pick eight. To get Goff, but uh, I mean to get Stafford, but the two picks coming from LA too hard to pass up. No other team was doing that. No, no one. And here's the real great irony: the Rams keep Sean McVay, who couldn't beat Doug Peterson in a big game, and scored three points against Bill Belichick in the Super Bowl, and they trade their failed quarterback. The Eagles keep their failed quarterback. And get rid of Doug Peterson, who beat McVay all the time and beat Bill Belichick in the Super Bowl with a backup quarterback, a back middle linebacker, and a backup left tackle when Tom Brady threw 505 yards. Come on, go figure. Tell me that. That's not crazy. What a world. What a world. It's the NFL. Sal Palantonio's covering Super Bowl 55. It's the 10th time he has covered Tom Brady. And by the way, Gronk has been a part of that, too. I saw you got a chance to catch up with Gronk after the NFC Championship game. He's been there as well, and they are back. The party's in Tampa. Probably a little different party this year, huh? It is. Uh, our ESPN complex is all the way on the other side of the causeway. We're in St. Pete Beach. Nice beach. Not bad. I'd rather... I'd rather be in Ocean City. The beach is nicer in Ocean City. Thanks to Johnny G and the Griner team at Burger Realty in Ocean City for uh, supporting my appearances on the Mike Gill Show. Mike, love being on the radio with you, brother. All right, man. We'll catch up with you Friday. Enjoy the the weather because it's snowing like crazy here. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I know. Yeah. Every time I talk to somebody back in Philly, they're like, you're in St. Pete, and they hang up on me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm about to do the same. See you later, man. <laughs> Sal Palantonio, everybody, ESPN, and, of course, see, like all guests appeared via the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. There you go. What an awesome uh, insight on Tom Brady. Ten years in the Super Bowl there, that whole breakdown that he gave at the beginning of our conversation. But, Broads, how about the conversation about Howie Roseman would be vilified here if he traded two first-round picks for Matthew Stafford. I like how he brought up the conversation we had yesterday about what the, what the Rams did compared to what the, uh, what the Eagles did, but he, he forgot some context. Not only did the Eagles decide to move on from Doug Peterson, but they ended up hiring his old assistant's assistant. So just add that into the equation as well. Who, wait, say that again? Like, not only did the Eagles decide to choose the quarterback that's been struggling, but they hired the coaching, the coach that they fired in Doug Peterson. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. His assistants in Frank Reich. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep. The irony there is just, you know. Do you think, though, that, do you think that Roseman would have been vilified for giving up two picks and Wentz to get Stafford? 
it would be split because all the Carson Wentz haters would probably say, well, I don't know, because people hate Howie so much that the Carson Wentz haters would find a way because they probably still hate Howie to blame him for it, even though they wanted Carson Wentz gone. So to answer your question, yeah, I do think that he would get crushed. All right, Sports Bash here on 97.3 ESPN. It is brought to you by Maplat Nissan. The all-new Maplat Nissan is now open on the Black Horse Pike in Egg Harbor Township next to Home Depot. Online at matblattnissan.com. When we come back, we go inside the Sixers. Kevin Kincaid is next right here to talk a little Sixers with us. Why is Ben Simmons thriving? Kevin Kincaid explains next. It's Sixers basketball tomorrow on 97.3 ESPN with the voice of the 70s. All right, we're back. Sports Bash Live. It's uh, inside the Sixers. We'll take a look inside the Sixers here. Kevin Kincaid from CrossingBroad.com will be our Sixers guest today as the Sixers have the night off. They play the Hornets tomorrow. They are in Charlotte. We'll have the game for you here on 97.3 ESPN. And, of course, Kevin Kincaid um, has covered the Sixers the last couple of years. We'll get some good insight from him on, you know, what's different about this Sixers team. I want to get his take on uh, how Doc Rivers' offense looks a little different, what they're doing with Ben Simmons. Uh, But first, bros, what do you got? deal that you need to hit on. All you have to do to get your share of these huge prizes is enter the DraftKings free Super Bowl prediction challenge. Once you submit your picks, you will get a free instant prize up to $25,000. The top prize, $1 million. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code 973 when you sign up. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey only gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, there is Kevin Kincaid, a fine WVU alum. As he joins us here to talk a little Sixers inside the Sixers. And Kevin, you know, this team is, is last year was like painful to get through. We had a watch and it was like painful every night. This team is a lot more fun. But what do you see that's different about this team when you watch them? Like, is it just as simple as they switch two players in and out and that's the difference? But uh, Or is it something that sticks out to you as to why this team seems more fun than last year's team? I don't know that Kevin's hearing us right now. Do you, do you hear us, Kevin? Kevin, are you hearing us? I see Kevin, but I don't know that he's hearing us right now. It, just, it seems like he is not because I'm hearing you. All right. So Kevin is not hearing us. So maybe uh, we can have Josh reach out to him or something. And there's Kevin. He's kind of staring at us, and he's just saying, "Yeah, he's not." Yeah, hearing he's us giving so. us. Yeah, yeah, he's giving us the earphone look here. Yeah. Well, you can answer the question. He says no audio. All right. We'll see if he can. Uh, Josh, maybe you can give him a call and see if he can hear us because uh, he's saying he's not hearing us. But um, we'll get Kevin here on a second. Now, you would figure that he has used the video many of times and that this is something that he normally does. I feel like if he was to speak, we would hear him because I hear him fondling around a bit. So I guess it's just he doesn't know what he's responding to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's just kind of like, you know, hey, he just typed to me. I have no audio. And uh, there he goes. He's going to uh, pick up his phone now. We're going to try to get him here on the phone and see what's going on. But he definitely has the ability to talk. He just couldn't hear the question. University, you guys just don't learn anything there. <laughs> well, it's funny. We'll be able to watch him talk like on his phone. It'll be, it'll be kind of fun there, right? 
All right, yeah, look, so, he's reacting to Josh. Yeah. So he said that yeah. he said the WVU people don't can't figure out how to get the uh, the audio to. We could hear you, but you couldn't hear us. Oh, that's not true. A West Virginia joke. That's uncalled for. We're just having a little uh, little technical difficulties over here. But it's always good to be on the sports bash, especially with the another fine mountaineer and Mike Gill. Yeah, I, I saw the the WVU kids today. Were did you see the video of them? Going down the hill on refrigerators? Yeah, you know, look, uh, points for creativity, right? You got <laughs> to find whatever is available and, uh, you know, make use of it. So good for them. Yeah, it's just, uh, uh, college ingenuity, right? So you've been around this team for a while. You covered the Brett era, and now we're seeing Doc. Is it as simple, Kevin, that they just switched two guys and this team's now fun? Because last year was miserable. It was painful to get through that season. They really only made a handful of tweaks. You know, they switched two guys out. And entering the year, I don't think people were like, well, this team could be a finals contender. I think most people thought they were still a middle-of-the-road team. So why are now maybe the expectations better? Yeah, it's interesting because, uh, you know, when they made the the change to bring in Seth Curry and to bring in Danny Green, I was just kind of – laughing to myself because I was sitting there thinking, I'm like, man, this is a team that Brett would love to coach. You know, and it fit, it fit his kind of team, you know, space and pace and move up and down the floor. And in a lot of ways, it was reminiscent, really, of what the 2017 team was. You know, so you got Joel Embiid, you got Ben Simmons. Let's say Seth Curry is like your J.J. Redick, you know, your sniper. You know, you got a 3-and-D guy in Danny Green who's not going to take a ton of shots, but he can be your Robert Covington and get some get some shots up, you know, and, and play defense on the wing. And then you had Darius Sarge and Tobias Paris kind of reprising the same role. Of course, Tobias is a, a better player and not just a stand in the corner and shoot three-pointers kind of player. But beyond that, you know, Joel Embiid having a career year, kind of hitting his peak. And, uh, you know, Doc just kind of knowing when to press the buttons and when not to press the buttons, you know. Um, I don't think Brett was a bad X's and O's coach at all. I think over the over the years you saw him dial up some good stuff. He was pretty good on, on ATO plays and stuff with the whiteboard. I just think that Doc, with the experience he has, is just better kind of knowing when to put his fingerprints onto them when, when not to, you know. And you saw that in the L.A. game, you know, the, the play that they closed on, that multi-action play that they won on. You saw it the other night when they went 2-3 zone down the stretch. So um, probably a combination of all those things. So Ben Simmons obviously is a maddening guy. Um, he's his scoring average is way down, and then people wanted to trade him. But what's happened recently that his game and his scoring has gone up? Just the commitment to aggression and that commitment to assertiveness. You know, I mean, if I think you look at his shot chart from the other night, he was nine for twelve. And uh, if you go look at like the visualization of it, like the plot or whatever, like every single shot came within like two feet of the basket. <laughs> it looked like a it looked like a Dwight Howard um twenty ten shot plot or something, you know. But they're just doing little things to try to get him to be in that mindset. You know, Doc Rivers dropped a good quote the other night about they set up a couple double drags for Ben at the uh, in early transition. Basically what a double drag is, because I know it's not a visual media, it's radio, but uh, you know, you just basically set two staggered screens in early transition, you know, near midcourt and then Ben can sort of run off that. There's a lot of moving parts, you know, get him to the rim. Uh, Indiana, for some reason, likes to play their bigs up uh, on pick-and-roll defense, so there's going to be gaps there for him to to get there. you know. So it's, it's about that commitment to finishing through contact and to rounding the corner and to getting downhill. And uh, you know he can be a point scorer if he has to. They have to change, too, how they play. I think the good thing about the other night was in the fourth quarter, they changed how they played 
uh, without Embiid, Joel Embiid on the floor. Because they were 0-4 without him previously, and it's like they just go and try to play the same game. But you can't really play the same game. you know. So they went 2-3 zone. Ben was more aggressive. Furkan Korkmaz was in the game in the fourth quarter. And, um, you know, with, with Ben, it's just like, I understand people are frustrated that he appears to be the same player on offense, but, uh, you know, people always got to frame the argument in a specific way. It's not that any, I know people are disappointed about that, but again, you look at a guy who's had every other, he can do literally every other thing. So it's, people make it seem like it's a negative that he doesn't shoot. But like in my case, I say, well, imagine what he could be with a shot. You know, he'd be the most complete player to come through Philadelphia in a long time, or the NBA in a long time. So I think that's why it's such a hot button issue because people imagine what he could be if he had it, you know? Are you afraid that that will limit this team in the postseason, though, down in the half-court sets and when things intensify? But I think that's where, because, like, this is the first year I truly snapped. I was a big defender, but, like, I lost my mind a little bit. And I'm just afraid that when it comes down to those playoff moments again, if he has to hide in that dunker spot or, or whatever, that that's where my concern is. No, you're right, bro. It's because he's like, it was never an issue of uh, can they, that's why I was always so stupid when people make these jokes about, well, can they coexist or not? Well, I mean, him and Embiid, yeah, they won 53 games, the two of them, you know? But it's one thing to win these regular season games. There's always going to be a question of, you know, how that works in the fourth quarter, late in games when they have to have these half-court possessions in the, in the playoffs, you know? And, you know, so far, it's kind of played out the way it has played out in the past. You know, if you go to that L.A., game from last week and you look at the play they called to win it just multi-option right okay there's a pin down screen Seth Curry and Joel Embiid then they end up in a Curry and, and Harris pick and roll and they get the switch and he drives an Alex Caruso and he hits the shot to your point Ben Simmons is just standing in the dunker spot the entire time so right now the answer is no nothing has changed as far as his utility in the half court in these late game scenarios but you know if they can execute the way they did on that play that might be feasible you know, that might be tenable. I know it's maddening because you're looking at the same Ben that you've you've seen for the last four years, but if everybody else is doing what they have to do and they can find a way to work around it, then it may be suitable. They may be able to live that way. I, I guess, Kevin, I guess one of the questions would be then, like if Ben's scoring 11 points a game, can they win that way? I guess the, the follow would be they can maybe – if the guys around them do their job, kind of what you said. Like one of the reasons why his scoring average is down is – Shake Milton scoring 15 a game two weeks ago. Now he's not, and Maxi was scoring 10. Now those guys' numbers have gone down, and Simmons has gone up, but it's almost like people want to see him score 16, and if he only scores 11, that's good enough. I said, well, what if the other guys are scoring more? What does it matter? It doesn't. It, it really doesn't. And, you know, it's funny because we always, uh, you know, we look at Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid as being the two superstars. You know, it's always how we framed the narrative around this team. But the fact of the matter is that Tobias Harris makes the most money. So if Ben, if, if Tobias and Joel Embiid are scoring, Seth Curry's hitting some three-pointers, Danny Green's hitting some three-pointers, they don't need Ben Simmons to score. You know? I mean, you'd love to see it, and we want him to take the next step forward. But if those four guys are playing the way they are right now, Tob- Tobias's numbers are uh, just about right where they were when he was playing for Doc those 52 or 53-some games in Los Angeles, which are close to career highs, and some of them are career highs. And Joel's hitting career highs as well, so... I mean, the answer to that is Ben really doesn't have to be anybody different if we if we look at it as Tobias and Joel being the, the one and two scorer. Daryl Morey was quoted mentioning ch- being championship or bust. What type of moves do you think is needed and that he's talking about? Is it a backup primary ball handler? Are they sold on shake? I know they keep mentioning the power forward position, so I think that's something they're going to look at. But uh, what do you think that means when Daryl Morey says that? What do you think's next? 
You know, people talk about J.J. Redick. I wouldn't make a trade for J.J. because with his salary, I think he'll probably hit the buyout market. So maybe you look at it that way. Backup power forward for sure because right now with, with Mike Scott, they have to – you know, all they can really do is stagger. You know, it's Tobias and, and him, and, and that's pretty much it. Um, Dwight Howard's interesting. You know, he's been up and down a little bit this year. I, I, I feel like when he's relegated to just doing his role, which is playing defense and rebounding, they're okay. But you can always use more shooting, for sure. I think defensively, um, they're okay. But I, I don't. I think we're beyond blockbuster move at this point. I don't think a James, obviously a James Harden is not happening, but a Zach Levine's probably not, not happening too. I mean, this is a pretty, pretty damn good team as they are. You know, so you try to add around the fringes and do a little bit of what you did maybe in 2017 when you had the Ilya Silva and the Bellinelli kind of, kind of additions. But I, I don't think there's any reason for them to, to, to do anything crazy right now. Kevin, do you anticipate seeing more of that zone based on the personnel that they have? I know it's unconventional for an NBA team to kind of utilize that on a night-to-night basis. They probably did it because of no Joel, and they had to be a little bit, you know, they were down. But did they find something to say, we should incorporate this more? Yeah, I don't see why not. I mean, the personnel for it is amazing. You know, I mean, you remember when Matisse was drafted last year, uh, ironically, one of the knocks that people had on him was that he played 2-3 zone in, at Washington, you know, under a Jim Beheim disciple. And people were like, well, is he going to be able to make the transition from playing, you know, cheap? You know, because zone is like stigmatized as, as being cheap and easy, right? You know, can he play that? Can he go from that to playing man-to-man in the NBA? And that's no problem, right? So um, you – take his length, and then you put another all-NBA defensive player next to him, Ben Simmons. And that, that's an impossible, you know, front court or uh, back court, I'm sorry, to, to to get through there. And then imagine if you had Joel Embiid on the floor, you could have him down there in Dwight Howard's spot. And that's tough to get around. That's tough to get around. Now, good, good, good NBA teams are great passing teams, but they're going to be able to find gaps and hit a couple three-pointers. It worked against a team like Indy who doesn't take a lot of three-pointers three points, and isn't a good three-point shooting team. But I don't see why they can't go back to that for sure. You only come out of zone really when teams figure it out. And when you go into it and they don't figure it out, you can stay in it as long as you want to. And that's what they did the other night. Joel has obviously been insane this year. What impresses you the most when watching him play this season? You know, it's just his kind of his how how he's added every level to the scoring now, and uh, you know because we know that he was dominant on the inside, we know he was great from ten to twelve feet, but now they're running like these delay actions and stuff for him, where they just hand him the ball on the three point line. He doesn't necessarily have to shoot the three pointer, but he's able to create from there. He's able to get into the paint. Um, he's able to feel contact and draw fouls. The, the way that he's getting to the line is. Uh, how, how would I put it? it it's it's absurd the, the numbers that he's putting up there. You know, if you if you go by per thirty six numbers, you know, so if everybody in the league plays the same amount of minutes and you extrapolate that, right now Joel Embiid is getting to the foul line twelve point two times per thirty six minutes. Just for just just for the sake of the exercise, because I was interested, I went back and looked at like twenty five years of that statistic, and nobody was even close to hitting that. Not Giannis. Not Prime. Dwight Howard, not prime Shaquille O'Neal. Per 36, they were only giving the foul in like 10, 10 times per game. He's he's going to shatter that number if he keeps doing it at the at the the way he is this year. And those those trips to the foul line just unlock the rest of his game and get him into a rhythm, and then he just starts rolling. I don't know how many times we've looked up this year, and I'm sitting there thinking, like, where did, he, where did 27 points come from? Where did 29 points come from? Because he's just like ripping off 10 to 12 in these like batches 
and make these second quarters and third quarters. And you're like, wow, holy crap, he's already where he is. So just, just kind of to, to answer the question, just for him to kind of be able to put it together at every level now and feel that contact and just sort of master the art of, of the rip through, which he was already good at. You know, he's, he's really, really fleshed that out to like elite status now. Well, Kevin, I guess in, in like closing, we've watched Ben and Joel together and we all just assume they're the two guys. Tobias is in there, but maybe in the years past, they weren't ready to win. They weren't, they were young. They just weren't ready. Do we feel that Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, quite frankly, have matured to where they're ready to win? I think so too. And that's a great point. And that's not anything that you can really, you know, qualify or quantify. You know, sometimes it just clicks for people. Um, and that's a thing that I feel, I feel, kind of feel bad for Brett in a way, because, you know, he got these guys at their earliest, you know, and, uh, you know, it's funny because sometimes, like, I think we all have this idea that development is like a linear path, right? Like a guy comes into the NBA, he's going to shoot 40%, then he's going to shoot 42%, then he's going to shoot 44%. It's going to kind of, you know, go up on a slope, a grade, right? I'm making a, a motion with my arm. Um, but that's not always the case. You know, sometimes it just clicks with people. And like in your third year, your fourth year, it's just like a light bulb goes off in your head. And you're like, aha, I get it. You know, or the personnel that you're playing against is different, you know, or you just like you, everybody, I think, reaches this moment, any job you do, any profession where it just starts to click and you're like, it becomes automatic for you. And I don't know if that's where Ben is right now, but Joel is definitely there. Yeah. You know, 27 years old. I think like you look at those median ages where people, where people hit those primes and just start to take off. He's right at that age right now. So it's been a pleasure. It's been like a privilege to watch, you know, it, it has been, you know, as last year, as painful as it was one year has been such a difference, especially in watching Joel Embiid. You're right about that. Kevin Kincaid covers the 76ers. Crossingbroad.com is where you can check out more of his work. Sixers off tonight. They're back tomorrow and then back-to-back. They'll play Thursday. We'll see if the big man is back uh, dealing with that back stuff. But, uh, you know, it's uh, a lot more fun this year watching this team for sure. And as you said, it you know, Brett was not the most popular guy amongst the fans it would have been interesting to see how that would have been different this year, but yeah, uh, we'll check yeah. that out. All right, Kevin, appreciate it, man. No problem. Maybe next time I'll get my audio-visual situation sorted. All right? Yeah, man, you, you fix that, man. <laughs> he, like all guests, appeared via the Boardwalk Honda hotline. All right, we will uh, pop Kevin out of the stream, and let's get right into uh, some other conversation. Jeff Nadu, big man on campus, Barstool Sports. He's going to pop right on with us now here on the Boardwalk Honda Hotline as we just got Kevin to talk a little Sixers for us. I'll ask you, Jeff, I know you're a big Sixer guy, and you were an advocate of getting rid of Ben Simmons and probably still are, but as constructed, do we feel that this Sixers team, is there good value in them? No. Not liking it. No, because they're not still not good enough to beat the good teams in this in this in this conference. I mean, I again, Mike, I, I keep going back to this and look, I'll give it to them. The win against the Lakers was impressive. That wasn't easy, almost blew the game. Um, but that's not easy. Um, you know, we're gonna see. There's still, I think, a lot to shake out with them. Um, I think they're getting there, but no, I don't I don't think in a in a seven game series they can beat Brooklyn. I don't think in a seven game series they could beat, you know, the Heat. You know, all those teams are going to get stronger as the season goes on. You know, Joel Embiid, you know, he obviously is playing his heart out. But um, I, I don't know. I just – Ben Simmons has always been off to me. Um, he has his, his, his games where, you know, he'll play really well. But, you know, a prime example of, of Ben Simmons, guys, is, uh, 
Yo, that game against the Pistons a couple of weeks ago, Ben Simmons, if he could shoot the basketball, had an opportunity to take a three to win the game. Instead, he passes the shot up, takes a second or two off the clock even more, and then Tyrese Maxey has to rush and take an off-balance three. And, you know, th- that's that's the issue with him in the half court. So, no, I, I don't think – I don't – I mean, I don't really think there is any value. I mean, they're they're not really – you know, in the market, they're not really priced that well. It would be different if I was getting a different price. I'd take a shot, but you're not getting any value with them from a price standpoint. You're priced out on Embiid, too, right? I mean, if you wanted to jump on him to be MVP, I think he's at the top of the ledger now. He is, yeah. I mean, he's playing terrific. I mean, Nikola Jokic, guys like that have played well as, as well. But, yeah, I mean, you know, Embiid is a – is a figure that a lot of people, they, everyone sees, but sees he's playing well. And those odds obviously change. So, yeah, uh, he would probably be my favorite right now. All right. Jeff Nadeau is the host of Big Man on Basketball. You can check that out wherever you get your podcast. That drops on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 9 a.m. The latest edition is out on Monday. He'll have a new edition out tomorrow. And we like to get Jeff on early in the week for some early plays, early lines. So last time we had you, we'll be back on Saturday mornings. Jeff's live with us on Saturday mornings as well. I do want to get Super Bowl thoughts before we get to that, it hasn't moved at all. It's still at three. It opened at three and a half. And as we kind of talked about last week, on Tuesday here, do you anticipate that thing moving or staying here? Yeah, I don't I don't think it'll move. I mean, there's so much volume on this game. It's hard to have a number move. And, and look, where it is now, I mean, that's, that's, that's what you know, bookmakers want. They want even action on both sides. Um, you know, they're going to get a hell of a lot of volume. But look, a lot of the time, guys, I mean, the Super Bowl is from a betting standpoint, at least the game, you know, it's peewee hour. It's everyone on, on earth wants to have a bet on the game. The, the where you make your money is in the prop markets. I've said that for years. Um, there's a prop for literally everything. I'm not just talking about the game itself, you know, who's going to catch a certain amount of passes or, or who has a touchdown. But, you know, you know, quasi stuff, you know, now with fans not there as much this year, it's a little different. But, you know, there's. You know, who will be at the game? Who will be shown on TV? How many times have they shown? You know, all that kind of stuff. I had a prop a couple of years ago when the New England Patriots went to the Super Bowl. The the, fa- the best prop on the board was will Bon Jovi be shown? Um, it was a really random bet, but I had some really good information that he was going to be in the box with Robert Kraft. And if you know anything about Kraft, he always has some sort of celebrity in that box with him. I knew they'd show Kraft at some point. So, you know, and it was like minus 160, I think. So it was, you got to look really deep, but if it's there, I'm betting it. So this is up your alley. What will be higher, Tom Brady's passing yards or game stops closing price on February the 5th? Now you're thinking, Mike, is that a real prop? That is a real prop. It's minus 200 Tom Brady plus 150 game stop. Yeah, I would I would lean with with Brady. He would definitely be the favorite there. You've got to figure GameStop by Friday will um you know be significantly lower than where it is now. But no, that's you know, if you're if you're someone that follows both markets, um, you know, those stuff they're there to be bet, Mike. I mean, and look, I will say this when you're betting prop markets, you've got to be willing to lay prices. You know, you're not gonna just sit there and pick off plus one thirty dogs all day. You gotta lay somebody to make money, but you know, big gamblers will do that. There's a reason that a number is minus 200, or there's a reason there's a minus 300. You know, when I was a young better, I used to be that guy that said, I'll never bet anything over 130 or 140. You know, but as you get older and you start betting bigger and you start betting different things, you know, people that say, I'm not going to lay this, it's nonsense. It's ridiculous. I heard all that when Conor McGregor fought Floyd Mayweather. Every 
amateur gamble on earth to Conor McGregor. He had no shot. He's not going to beat a boxer. Floyd May was the best boxer in the history of the sport, yet there was every amateur better in America took Conor. Yeah, the real betters laid 450 with Floyd, and it was a layup. So you got to lay you got to lay prices. All right, uh, he's Jeff Nadu, host of the Big Man on Basketball podcast from Barstool Sports. Uh, let's take a look at some. By the way, I got some really good props that were sent to me today. It's all like, um, for instance, just to give you a little, you know, uh, example of what I'm looking at here. You got like cross sports, like Patrick Mahomes touchdowns or Alex uh, Alexander Ovechkin's total shots on goal. Stuff like that, like they're they're kind of tie like these things with the yeah. different sports to the game crossover props. Yeah, so a lot of fun. Uh, we'll uh, throw some of those out. Maybe we'll do some more of these on Saturday morning when Jeff is back here. But let's look at some action for tonight for the people out there and get a couple of thoughts from you. Uh, Iowa, Michigan State. That Iowa. You know, Friday night, that was wild. Michigan State played Ohio State Saturday. Uh, so this is a good one. Iowa, Michigan State, and it's a pretty big line that moved. It opened at 11, down to 9.5. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, the sharp betters came in and took Michigan State. They're just hoping that they're not as bad as they've basically been for most of the year. Th this team sucks, Mike. I mean, it it's that simple. Michigan State's not any good. Um, we don't need to keep respecting them because they're Michigan State. They're not going to just flip on a switch and be better. The problem you have in this game is I was lost two games in a row as well. So you're not really going to catch a team sleeping or anything. Uh, Michigan State isn't good. They've lost six of eight overall. Every game on the road this year, they've gotten absolutely pulverized for the most part in the Big Ten. The only game they've won was at Nebraska. Uh, you, me, your producer, and two other guys could probably beat Nebraska. So, you know, at the end of the day, I, I think they're going to have major issues, Mike, inside with Luca Garza. Wouldn't surprise me if Luca has a gigantic game. They have no one that can guard him. Uh, if I were Iowa, I would feed him all night. I think to get into the 80s. I think Michigan State's a bad basketball team. They don't defend. They've been one of the worst offenses in this conference. Uh, they turn it over left and right. They can't defend without fouling. They do nothing fundamentally well. They have no leader. They have no point guard. Michigan State sucks. This is the worst team Tom Izzo's had in probably his career. So the, the numbers it opened at 11. It's 9.5. You like Iowa with the 9.5. And, and up yeah, to 11. I would lay the price. I think they get take care of business. You know, again, Mike, look at the last four games for Michigan State on the road. 79-62, 67-37, and 79-65. All losses. They've gotten destroyed on the road. This team stinks. <laughs> Arkansas, Mississippi State. That is a nine o'clock or so. You can see your money from the Iowa game and roll it into the Arkansas. You going live tonight? You doing a little live vid tonight with Nadine? Uh, well, I have to record my show, so I don't usually do the live ones uh, those nights. But uh, probably Wednesday I'll do a live one. But no, listen, Mike, this is a tough game for Arkansas. I'm not a believer in their coach. I think he's one of the worst coaches in high major basketball. He's a he's all he's an all talk guy. He's a good recruiter. He can give you a good line, but I think on the court, he's pretty bad. He's a pretty bad coach, Musselman, from an X and O standpoint. Mississippi State's tough, man. I mean, they rebound the hell out of the ball. They're good defensively. They work possessions. They make you really work on defense. And this is a defensive team for Arkansas that just can't stop anybody. I've seen them multiple games. They're just dreadful uh, defensively. I, I think this number's too high. 
I think Arkansas has been priced way too high. We're not playing a game in, in sold-out Fayetteville at Bud Walton tonight. That's not the case here. Uh, I don't know that we have to worry so much about that. I think they're pricing these games a little too high in this conference. Mississippi State could really struggle from three and get it blown out after a four- or five-minute scoring drought. But I believe that Mississippi State is legit on defense, and I believe they're legit and can score here. So I'll take a seven-and-a-half-eight and say, well, I'll think this is like a, a 73-68 type of game. All right, likes Mississippi State, minus 7.5 there. Another game of a interest. Plus 7.5, my bad. Uh, Tennessee was a team that we liked, and then all of a sudden, what happened there? They got old Miss tonight, and that one is a kind of – I thought the, the number here, it was 4, plus 4 to start. Now it's 3.5 uh, was kind of interesting. Tennessee's on the road here. Well, let me tell you what happened, Mike. Tennessee has three losses. All three of those games, their best player, Jaden Springer, the uh, top 25 freshman, didn't play. Every other game that Springer's played in, they have won and they've looked terrific in. He is the catalyst and one of the most important players on the team in America. They have to have him. He does everything. He's a great guard. He can score. He can rebound. He's an assist guy. He just does everything. And they need him offensively because they don't have other guys like that. And without him, they look bad. But he's back. They beat up Kansas over the weekend. Mississippi uh, University, Ole Miss is uh, ugly. They are hard to watch. They're actually the best under team, Mike, in America. No one's been better. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that they are a slow, boring, hideous, dreadful, despicable offense. Uh, they are hard to watch. And it wouldn't surprise me if they struggled to get to 60. Tennessee is very good on the defensive end. This will be a tough game to watch. I think, though, Tennessee kind of gets going a little bit. They'll have the opportunity to make some three-point shots. They don't turn it over. They get to the line. I think they'll manufacture enough offense. But this is going to be a tough game to watch. I, I, would, uh, I wouldn't want to watch this one. I would lean with Tennessee. I just kind of have some fascination with this game just because it's a road game for Tennessee. It looks like one of those spots where they kind of roll. And maybe Kermit Davis has something for them, but – I'm going to lean with Tennessee. I think they're really good with Springer. I think they take care of business here. All right. There were three games uh, of note on the college slate. I don't know if you have another one or if there's an NBA play. Uh, it's an interesting NBA card tonight. I know uh, you like to get in like Pistons, Jazz. It's a nine-and-a-half uh, line. That's a 10 o'clock game. Also, another interesting one when you're looking at totals, you got – the Nets give up a ton of points. It's uh, over under 245 against the Clippers. So is there another college or NBA play that uh, you want to dive into for tonight? Yeah, you know, um, I think the uh, that Blazer game is interesting. I mean, that you talk about a team that doesn't stop anybody. P Portland is hard to watch on the defensive end, man. I mean, you had Covington, and you think, oh, maybe they're going to be improved, but it hasn't really mattered. You know, Washington is – dreadful defensively as well. I mean, these are two bad, bad, bad defenses. When you look at defensive efficiency, Washington and Portland, 28th to 29th in the league. The only but the only team worse is arguably one of the worst defensive teams in the history of the NBA, the Sacramento Kings. So, you know, this is a, a game priced at 240. That's, that's about as high as you'll see in the NBA. I'm not sure if it matters. I don't, I don't love these like kind of it makes total sense. You have to play it. I don't like these kind of games, but I, I got to be honest, Mike. I don't know who stops who in this game. Uh, it just seems like one of those 128, 125 type of games. Washington has the fastest tempo in the league. Uh, Portland will, will kind of 
go with them as well. So I think you see plenty of offense. It's probably first to 125 wins. Uh, by the way, that game opened at 245 over under Nets Clippers. It's down to 241. But uh... Yeah, well, what what happens, Mike, in those types of games is sharp betters will come in and they'll just – They'll just take the under. That's yeah. always what they're going to do. Whenever you see a high NFL total, you'll always see sharp money on the under. They're just going to bank on the fact that you don't get that five minute. You get that five minutes where no one scores or there's limited scoring, and, and that could be the difference between you winning or losing a total. Sharp betters like unders. You know, square betters generally bet overs. But this is too high for square betters to get involved with. They just don't even notice it. So I'll lean in and think that it just goes how I think it's going to go, and Dame Lillard has a big game, and – you know, again, first of one twenty-five wins. Jeff, we got a minute and a half. Give me a John Cheney memory. Yeah, well, I got a quick one for you. When I was nine or ten years old, John Cheney and Temple Owls were probably my first real basketball that I would watch regularly. It was Allen Iverson. It was John Cheney. If you remember, Mike, two thousand one, uh, Temple went to the Elite Eight. Lane Greer, Wadley, Ron Rollerson, that team. Uh, Sixers went to the NBA Finals. It was probably the greatest basketball year I ever remembered. It made me fall in love with basketball. John Chaney is the most influential and important basketball coach probably in the history of the sport outside of John Thompson. They did more for young men in America than 50 or 100 politicians can do in a lifetime. They are important to our community. We have to stop. We have to fund basketball because it is important to the growth of men in our country, and it prevents tons of bad things from happening. He did so much for young men in the Philadelphia area, Rasheed Brookenbrow and, and Aaron McKee and Eddie Jones and all these different guys. Without John Chaney, uh, we don't have those. Without John Thompson, we don't have Allen Iverson. He was the only one that took a shot on Allen coming out of prison. Um, we need more people like John Chaney, and it's it, it was a complete loss. I'm still upset about that. He was my favorite coach in the history of, of basketball, and I – I'm sad after he was gone. I, I'll miss John Chaney. Real good. Uh, Jeff Nadeau is the host of Big Man on Basketball. The podcast drops Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And, of course, he, like all guests, appeared via the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. Follow him at Jeff Nadeau for his plays and his videos. And uh, check out Big Man on Basketball, Barstool Sports. Jeff will be back on Saturday morning with the weekend card. And we'll go through some of those fun uh, crossover bets. All right, Jeff, take care, man. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, guys. All right. Uh, he, like all guests, appeared via the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. And, of course, when we come back, man, it's already 4 o'clock. Broads, football at 4 is on the way. We'll see what Checo thinks about taking a tight end in the first round. If you're at pick number 6, I'm sure he will have an opinion on this mock draft from Bucky Brooks. That's coming up next. Don't go away. The Sports Bash is live on 97.3 ESPN, the free mobile app, and watch us live on our website. It's Philadelphia Flyers hockey tomorrow on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app with Tim Saunders and Steve Coates calling all the play-by-play action. Harder.